Good morning, everybody. So good to uh, so good to worship together, and uh, almost feels like normal, almost. Um, but it is wonderful. It is good to be able to like to worship. We're here to worship Jesus, of course. But it is wonderful to be able to sing those songs to one another. Um, something about that stirs faith. We're able to sing these songs to one another um, physically. Uh, it's great to. To, uh, I don't know if you can see it, if you can hear it, but it's wonderful to worship while the kids are um, running around, uh, making noise, a joyful noise and all of that. Um, so um, really grateful again for the opportunity to share what I think um, the Lord would want to uh, challenge us with. Uh, this morning, um, so we've we started a we started a new series two or three weeks ago, entitled "Walk This Way," um, and again, I'll leave space if you're a fan of Run DMC, you can like take a moment and just belt out that classic "Walk This Way." Um, that's the title of our series over the next number of weeks, um, taken from. Uh, what grabbed my attention a number of months ago was First John 2, verse 6, where um, John, the Apostle John, in his letter, um, penned these words, Whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. And, um, and so we're just, we're just trying to see if there is ways that we can help one another uh, truly discover the way that Jesus walked. Um, we uh, we introduced the series. I introduced the series. Um, I think three weeks ago, looking at the woman at the well, just trying to catch what it was that Jesus was doing and how he treated this lady, how he loved her, in spite of all that she'd done, in spite of her reputation, and seeing if there was a way that we could imitate him, in the way that Paul told, says in uh, Ephesians chapter five, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ, how can we uh, imitate the way that he lived? How can we imitate the way that he treated and valued and uh, ascribed worth to others, ascribed worth even to the least? Um, David talked uh, wonderfully around power, the influence of power, how Jesus seemed to subvert the way of power, and, um, and, uh, and David did a great job. And then briefly we met together outside here in uh, just for the opportunity to see one another on Resurrection Sunday last week and, and Neville for a few minutes uh, did a great job in talking to us about the way of hope. Again, as you know, if you know me at all, you might struggle to come up with some sort of title. That's why it's good to have other people around you to be able to uh, do that on your behalf. Um, but I've just been struck uh, by... The way of Jesus after resurrection. That is not a fancy title. The guys in the background will do something at the end of this to make it a little bit more attractional, um, a bit more captivating. But what, what, what was the way of Jesus? What did it look like? What was his posture? What did he say? What did he do as he engaged with those uh, disciples, those people that he... That he, that he was in friendship with, what did all of that look like after his resurrection? 
And um, and there's a f- like we could go to we could go to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. I think we've we've looked before at at Luke. Luke's account of the way of Jesus, the way that he walked, actually the physical way that he walked post-resurrection. And it was on the road to Emmaus. I'm not going to spend time, uh, that's not where I'm going to spend my time this morning. I want to look at Matthew 28. But just to point out, I love how Jesus walked with these two people as they walked away from him. I think that that is an important posture, I think, for us. To, to consider. Jesus walks with those even when they are walking away from him. And I think that is a, an important lesson. I think Jesus is modeling something for us even in, that, uh, even in that story. I think it's important the questions that Jesus asks them as they walk. As they walk, he asks them, what is it that's going on? What's going on in your mind? What are you thinking about? What is it that's caused you to walk away? I think Jesus shows us the importance of walking side by side, but actually it's round the table. It's in the sharing of a meal face to face that he is fully recognized. And I think, again, there's a lesson for us in that, the importance of walking side by side, but actually something happens. The way of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it's recognized as we sit with one another face to face around a table. Um. On uh, again, we we talk a lot about social media, the pros and the cons. It is um, a difficult place to be at times, but there is moments where uh, there is moments that I find that it is worth hanging on for. And uh, I read a I read a tweet this week from a guy called Rich Velotis, and he said after the resurrection, Jesus comes back to Jesus comes back to his failed disciples. And instead of bringing up their mistakes, he sends them on mission. In the kingdom of God, our mistakes don't make us unusable. And so I think that's what I want to look at this morning. After the resurrection, Jesus comes back to his failed disciples. And instead of bringing up their mistakes, he sends them on mission. And I think that's the way of Jesus that I think we want to challenge ourselves with this morning. Remind you this morning, use all of you who are around me and watching on in the kingdom of God, our mistakes do not make us unusable. And I think Jesus revealed that in these post-resurrection accounts that we have. So if you want to go, we're going to, we're going to be in Matthew 28. Um, and it is one verse in particular that I want to highlight this morning. And if you're anything like me, this is a verse that you will maybe have missed. Because I think when it comes to our reading through the scriptures, we uh, we know about we know about the resurrection story. So the beginning of Matthew twenty-eight, we're told we read it last week. I'm sure you read it several times after the Sabbath at the dawn of the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, and. Uh, he encountered an angel who told them, don't be afraid. You're looking, I know that you're looking for Jesus. He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. Come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly. Tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. And the women go filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. 
and then you'll be familiar, like you'll be familiar if you've been around Grace Community or Drop-in Community Church for any length of time over the last number of years. You'll be people that will be familiar with the Great Commission. So we know the the resurrection account. We're familiar with the resurrection account. We're familiar with the account of the the Great Commission. How Jesus has given all authority. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, uh, even to the very end of the age. And so it's verse 17 that... that uh, that I want us to see this morning. I want us to reflect on. We've had the resurrection. And in verse 17, the, verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, where Jesus had told them to meet. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And that's the line. That's, this, that's the one verse that I would love us to reflect on. Love to ask a few questions. And I'm not here with all the answers to these questions, but these are questions that stirred in me as I thought about this verse, about this line. Some worshipped. Um, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I found myself, like with, with the celebration of uh, Resurrection Sunday last week, and we come to, I come to this verse, and I'm like, how, how is this possible? How can someone? How can someone look into the face of resurrected Jesus and still doubt? As I, as I thought about these disciples, how, what, like, what were they thinking? Here he was standing before them. They knew it was Jesus. They, they'd watched him die. They'd, taken, they'd seen his body. Someone had seen his body being taken to the tomb, buried. He was no longer there. He's risen. Then they meet him on this mountaintop. They meet him. In Galilee, they went to the mountain where Jesus had said for them to meet. And when they saw him, they worshipped and some doubted. How is that possible? How is it possible to look into the face of resurrected Jesus and still doubt? But there's another question that's began to, that began just to, to niggle at me over the last, over the last week or so. The question that I found myself being niggled with, why, is it, why does it feel, and maybe this isn't your experience, but this is what, what, what was niggling at me, why does that part always seem to be left out? Why does verse 17 always seem to be left out with the resurrection and with the commission, but this little bit in the middle, in my experience, it always seems to have been left out. And it concerns me. It concerns me as... as as someone just as concerns me as someone following Jesus. It concerns me uh, in a position of, I think, of, of leadership. I think that it concerns me from that point of view as well. Because I think that so many people are convinced that their doubts disqualify them from faith. People have convinced themselves, or else they've been told. And I think that's why this part is left out. It's almost like we don't know what to do with it. We have been... Th we have been conditioned or we assume that our doubts disqualify us from faith 
we go back to the story of the apostles here. Some of the apostles look in, looked into the eyes of the resurrected Jesus and still doubted. I read um, a stat. I think it's I think it's from from North America, but I wonder how much of it would still apply to here, where a third of people leave faith because of doubt. That's the, that's, the, that's the stat, that's the headline. A third of people leave faith because of doubt. But I think, and I want to suggest to us this morning, I think it's not, it's not doubt that has caused them to abandon faith. I want to suggest that they abandon faith because they think that they are not allowed to doubt. They abandon faith because they think that they are not allowed to doubt they abandon faith because they think their doubts disqualify them from faith. Their doubts disqualify them from the resurrected Jesus coming to us in the same way that he did to these apostles. And even with their doubts, even with their uncertainties, he still commissioned them to go. And there's part of me feels a responsibility to, to bring in those people that don't, don't leave because of doubt. Don't walk away because of doubt. Don't abandon your faith because of doubt. I think we read these stories and we automatically think, Thomas, this is your fault. No, we're, only, we're only talking about you here. It's only Thomas. I don't think that's the case. I wonder if you're, again, if you're anything like me, do you read that and wonder who was it? How many of them? There is suggestions. There is some strong arguments for those that do a deeper dive into the Greek here, that the, deep, the, the, that the deeper translation seems to suggest that it's not some worshipped and some doubted, but the actual, the deeper translation is they worshipped him, but we're not sure. So it was all of them, all of them worshipped, and all of them doubted. So not that that's, we don't need to get, to get caught up in that. But for me, if, you're, if your mind begins to drift towards, it's, they're, they're talking about Thomas, Thomas, look what you've done. You've, you've, you've made this verse in the middle that's going to just confuse us. I'm only talking about you. But I think there's more of them. And there's some suggestions that it was all of them worshipped and all of them doubted. I found myself asking these questions. How long did this last? How long did these doubts last? How long were they unsure for? Because they faced resurrection. Surely that would have been enough. They've seen resurrected Jesus and there's still something within them that is causing them to be uncertain. Still something within them that causes them to have questions that they feel that they need answered. Did it last days? Did these doubts last days? And as they went, and the power of the Spirit is out whenever the, the doubts began to ease. Did it last their whole lifetime? Was there just some of them that just kept on obeying, kept on being faithful? in spite of some of the things that were going on in their minds. But I, I love this. I beca I've began to appreciate this verse. Because Jesus doesn't seem to require a unanimous vote before proceeding with this commissioning that he wants to, uh, that he wants to address the disciples with.
I want to point this out. I, I think that it is important to say this too. I think Jesus is addressing them as a company of friends. I think that's, I think that's why we don't see him getting, causing them to relive their mistakes. It's why I don't think he gets, um, he comes back to all of their failures and brings them up. I don't think he pokes at all of their doubts and get and and asks them to sort it out before they can go, representing him, representing his teaching, his commands. And I think it's because he's addressing them as a company of friends. And as a company of friends, he's commissioning them to continue the work that he has begun in them and that he began with them and accompanied with this incredible promise that he will be with us always to the very end. And so if we were to go through all of the post-resurrection accounts, if we were even to delve into what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think that responding or recognizing, responding to the resurrected Jesus is not a private experience. It takes place in the company of others. And I think that's why there's, there's not a huge, there's not a, a big amount of us here this morning, but I think it's why I feel so grateful to be among people, be in the company of others, because recognizing, even as we've taken communion together, recognizing the resurrected Jesus, responding to him is not a private experience takes place in the company of others it is a, he had jesus addresses them as a company of friends and i will not take time because we could go we could look at so many different verses where i think uh would highlight what i'm suggesting here romans 6 verse 4 um just as christ was raised through the glory and the power of the father we too might walk habitually in the newness of life. It's taken from the Amplified Version. Just as Christ was raised to the glory and power of the Father, we too. And so like, whenever you begin to look, whenever you begin to look at this, with the idea that he is addressing a company of friends, whenever they experience and the recognition and the, respon the response to the resurrected Jesus, it's... It always seems to take place in the company of others. And Paul has used this language, we, us, every time it's mentioned. We too, just as Christ was raised, we too might walk habitually in the newness of life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm. This is something that takes place in the company of friendships. It takes place in the company of others. And so it's why I love that 2,000 years ago we read this and Jesus gathered a group of friends. I am convinced that they become friends. He gathers a group of friends, worshipping, doubting friends at the top of the mountain and sent them out and the world has never been the same since. And I love that. I love that he sends out a group of friends. They're working this out in the company of one another. 
worshipping, doubting, but sent. And what took place in that mountain means that the world has never been the same again since. There's something that that gives, gives me hope for myself and for us as a company. I think of increasing friendships. And so as I, as I, as I begin to wrap up here really quickly, um, what, a, what, is then, what then is the implication for us? If we're talking, if the idea of what we're wanting to communicate over these Sundays is to walk this way, well then what, does that, what is that going to look like for us? What lessons do we have to learn from these post-resurrection accounts of Jesus? How do we walk this way? How do we walk like him? I think there's a responsibility for us. I think there is, there is, uh, there is something for us to learn in the account of Luke 24 that we would walk with those even if it looks like they're walking away. We ask them what's on their mind. Even as they're walking away, as they continue to walk away, what's on your mind? Why? Are you carrying those frustrations? What is causing those disappointments? And walk with them. And I think as you commit yourself to walking with people side by side with their frustrations, with their disappointments, as you commit yourself to the side by side, then as you begin to sit around the table, Jesus, I think, they will recognize him. I think they will recognize and respond to him in you as you walk this way. I think my challenge to myself and to all of us this morning is that we would be careful how we respond to people who are doubting. This is something we all have to engage with together, work out with one another. I think it's wonderful the songs that David has led us in. And, and so, so David's personality is slightly different than mine. And I, sometimes I need to ride on the coattails of that, that declaring faith. You're the God who fights for me. You've parted the sea and you've made a way. And I want to get on. I want to grab hold of that, run with that. But there's times where... Uh, there's times where I feel like I need to sit with the questions. There's times where I need to sit with the niggles and the doubts. And so I think we need to be careful how we respond to people who are doubting. I don't want to be left, I don't want people to be left wallowing in th that place. But I also think we need to be careful that we don't dismiss too quickly the doubts that people are having. Another stat, again, it's a North American thing, stat. It's taken from North America, but I think it would be similar here in the UK and Northern Ireland that a third of young adults have walked away because they feel that they can't ask their most pressing questions in church. Because they feel that they can't, there's not a trusted space for them to ask the things that are niggling, to ask the doubts that creep in because they feel that they can't ask those or, or converse them with the, within a company of friendships, they walk away. And I find myself just really, I just find myself so upset. I find myself so almost mourning that stat. That a third of people, have, a third of young adults have walked away and I don't think they needed to. I think they, they didn't abandon faith because of doubt. They abandoned faith because there was no place for it. 
because they were not allowed to communicate it. I suppose other places that we could go to, there's, there's other writings of Paul, I think, that would be really helpful for us to reflect on and consider maybe around our own dinner tables today and this week. So 2 Corinthians 5 is a powerful scripture. The, 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 closing, the closing verse of chapter 5 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal statement, but if we backtrack a wee bit, we were reminded that we have been given this message of reconciliation. We are now his ambassadors. We are ones that are to walk his way, representing his character, representing his nature. And so Paul says, you're as ambassadors of reconciliation. Don't count people's sins against them. Don't hold it against them. Just don't do it. And if we were to keep going, we could look at Galatians, I think. I think Galatians chapter 6 would be helpful for us. When you see people making mistakes, remember that Jesus didn't come and remind us of our failures. And so I think the encouragement from Paul to the Galatians would be if you see that, if you see people in their failures and in their mistakes, go to them and restore them gently is the language Paul uses. And I think we see that we see that in Jesus. We could go to the other post-resurrection account in John. And we could see Jesus making breakfast for the disciples, for those that have messed up, for those that have got it wrong. Jesus makes them breakfast. And he doesn't point out their failures. He doesn't point out their mistakes. He makes them breakfast. And he restores Peter gently. And I think there is a challenge for us as we consider what it looks like to walk this way. I think there's a few things there for us to walk with them, those even when they're walking away, asking questions, asking what's on their minds, hearing, paying attention to their frustrations and their disappointments, being careful how you respond to people who are doubting, um, not holding anyone's sins against them. And when you see people making mistakes, that you would come alongside them in the way that Jesus did with Peter and restore them gently. I, I'm aware that there's some of what we're sharing here could open up more more questions than I or we have the answers to provide, but I, I, I really hope that it is helpful. And if you find yourself in that position where you, rec you recognize yourself in those that even though you have experienced and encountered, resurrected Jesus, you're still, you're worshiping. But at times it feels like you're not sure Make sure you're working, working all of that out within a company of friends, within the company of others. We recognize and respond to the resurrected Jesus in the company of others. So, Father, I thank you for, um, thank you for this, uh, thank you for this story. Thank you for, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His ways. Um, thank you that they just remain so captivating. Uh, they remain so life-giving. They remain stuff that we ought to be challenged by and wrestle with. And uh, so, so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray you would expose the the, the things within us, God, that would um, that would cause us to to fear, 
would cause us to to walk away with frustrations and disappointments. God, I pray that we find a safe place within the company of friends to be able uh, to work this out. I pray as we go into our week, um, this week, that you would help us to walk the way of Jesus. Um, and that God, even round our, our tables, in our walks, in our schools, uh, in our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves, um, just open and available to uh, to engaging in all types of conversations and doing all that we can to show Jesus and how we live, and how we act, how we talk. Uh, we so, so we so need you. We're so conscious that we need you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us, give us the words to say, give us the awareness of our posture and our tone, and um, and so empower us as we go from here, as we go from this this moment today. Pray you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think that's us. So wonderful to worship together with you guys and uh, and whoever's still online. Bless you all. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you.